Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. we talked about contentment. How contentment can often be a measure of our faith. How content are you even in the bad times, right? How much can you rely on God instead of bringing all the stress onto yourself? Well, I believe contentment is also a measure of spiritual health. We focus a lot in our culture on physical health, right? There's a new diet plan, an exercise plan out every week. But we don't often focus on spiritual health, although it's much like physical health in that it needs constant maintenance, right? If you don't constantly work to maintain your spiritual health, we, as humans, we quickly lapse into apathy and insincerity. It's not just true of us today, by the way. It's true for God's people for millennia. It's always been true of us, and we can see that story throughout scripture. Today we're actually going to go to the book of Malachi. Hundreds of years ago, they did the exact same thing. And while Jesus was never about religion for religion's sake, right, he did build a few helpful pieces of religion, of ritual, into our faith to keep us coming back to him, right? Communion is a great example of that. He built in a little bit of ritual Every time that we break bread together, we should be thanking God for what Jesus did for us. It's meant as a reminder. And I think Jesus specifically built it around food so that it would be often, right? So that three times a day, every day, we'd have to thank Jesus for what he did for us. It's these little reminders, little pieces of religion. There's another little piece of religion that we find in the book of Malachi that we're gonna focus on today. And it so deeply goes to the heart of this series. Full heart, great gain. Now last week we talked about the full heart part, right? Whether we have enough or we don't, whether we have healing or we don't, we're gonna be content with what God has given us. We're gonna thank him for it. This week we're focusing more on the great gain piece of this. And we're gonna go to the book of Malachi and talk about tithing a little bit. Now, the book of Malachi is I've actually kind of fallen in love with it again this week because it's a really short book. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi was a prophet. He lived about 430 years before Christ and about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. So God's people had been sent off to Babylon in exile and punishment. And about 100 years after God brought them back from that, they were again having these conversations with God. And the book of Malachi is only four chapters. It's a small book. But in it, we see six conversations between God and his people. God is calling them back, and it's this beautiful story. See, immediately after they got brought back from exile, they were all in again. They were rebuilding the temple. They were passionate. They were bringing God good uh, sacrifices, right? The perfect animal, the unblemished sacrifices that God asked for. They were not just going through the motions, they were sincere about it. But a hundred years in, just a couple generations later, and literally the first conversation we get, God says, I love you so much to the people. And the people say back, really? How? How have you loved us? 
They can't even accept God's love anymore because even though they're going through the motions of religion, they've gotten apathetic and insincere in their worship. They're just going through the motions to maintain appearances. They don't actually receive and give love to God. So we see this poverty among them. We see injustice. They're treating each other badly and they're neglecting the temple. And God has a problem with that. In fact, there are six conversations we get to peek in on in the book of Malachi. Two of them, so one-third of them, are about money and possessions and how they're treating God's temple. We're actually going to pick up at the fifth conversation in Malachi 3, verse 6 today, where God says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God is always calling us back. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? See, the people were still under the impression that they hadn't done anything wrong. They couldn't see their motives behind everything being wrong. That God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. God can't work with you when you don't realize where you've gone wrong, right? It's the humble that God can work with. So they say, how can we return when we have never gone away? God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. Should people cheat God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven's armies, as he calls himself throughout this chapter? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You'll have fame. Did you know God cares about your fame among the nations? Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Four things I think we can learn from this passage, and I have to warn you up front, they're not all good news. Okay? In fact, two of them are bad news, and two are good news. Which do you want first, good news or bad news? Bad news, I'm glad you said that because you didn't really have a choice. Number one, bad news. It's called cheating. God uses a harsh word here. And we know that when God says something, he's intentional, right? He's a purposeful God. When he does something, he's doing something. So when he says cheating here, he chose that word carefully. We often throw out words, right? We say things we don't mean, that God doesn't do that. When he said cheating, he meant it. It's called cheating for a reason. Now, 
I know we don't often understand the agricultural nuances of this culture, right? We, although we live in an agricultural area, many of us are not farmers, yes? So we don't often understand what it means to bring a blemished or sick animal as a sacrifice. The conversation right before this one in Malachi was about the sick and blemished animals the people were bringing as sacrifices to God. God didn't ask for your worst. He asked for your best. He asked you to trust him with the perfect animal, the one that would bring you the most money at auction, right? The one that would provide you the best stock after. I mean, he asked for the perfect and you're bringing the crap. Your heart's not in this. We do this with church today. <laughs> We ask for donations for things occasionally, and what we get are the things that you don't want in your house anymore. Right? You t <laughs> I know this is a little convicting, but you don't go out and buy the best and donate it. You, you give your leftovers, right? That is what you do. I don't remember who it was, but I heard a preacher lately who talked about the, the missionary closet they had at their church. The missionary closet was whenever a traveling missionary would come in, they'd let them go and pick out clothes because they didn't often get that on the mission field. Well, it was just everybody's 70s clothes. It was like the, the stuff nobody wanted to wear right now. That's what they were offering, the people who were out on the field serving God day in and day out. And, and they had to change that mindset in their church and go get the best stuff to give to God. We treat the church like this in that we come in and we, we just want everything to be free and to be given to us. We want more VBSs for the kids and more crazy events for the youth. And we, we want more outreaches and just more, more for me. What do you have to offer me? That's how we go approach church. But the problem with that is that it, it's not actually free, right? <laughs> All the programs that we offer, the paint wars that we do for the youth, the camps, the, they're not actually free. And so we just become this, this leech on the church. We, we take all that we can get from it without actually giving anything back. But do you know Jesus set up the church? It was his idea, the first person to utter the word church in the Bible. It's a Greek word, ecclesia, and it was Jesus. He created it. He didn't create it to be somewhere where you go and just get fed all the time. He created it where you, as a place where you go and give into the body of Christ. You need to be looking at church as an opportunity to give to people, not an opportunity to get more. This is why I'm so passionate about serving around here. I always have been because I see what it does for you and the people that you're ministering to. Those kids that you teach relentlessly back in kids' ministry, for the youth that get to have these amazing experiences around the altars at camp, it changes them. You all, the, the ones of you that are volunteering and serving and giving, make that happen. It wouldn't happen without you. The church would cease to exist if we stopped giving our tithes and offerings. The electric wouldn't stay on. Right? It just doesn't work. It's not actually free. And when you approach it that way, God calls it cheating. When you look at it from a school sense, what does it mean to cheat? Right? To go in, take a test you've cheated on means you might get the A, but you don't actually get the knowledge. You're only hurting yourself, really. Yes? There's no teachers out there. Nobody's amening that. <clears throat> 
Same is true of this. You're missing something when you're not giving your tithes and offerings. The church, let me be clear, God is our source as the church, not necessarily the people. He will convict where he needs to convict, and he will cause the offering to flow where it needs to flow. Tithing is for you. You're cheating yourself when you're not doing it. You're not getting all that, this body of Christ, this amazing organization that Jesus set up. You're not getting all that it has to offer you if you're not giving into it as well. It's called cheating. God's words, not mine. Don't send me hate mail later, okay? Number two, bad news. promise I'm getting to the good news, but the bad news first. Sometimes something really is blocking our prayers. Do you ever get that feeling when you pray? Like it's just not reaching heaven somehow. It's just not getting through. God is silent, and I, I can't seem to get anywhere with him. I hear other people talking about how I can, they hear from God, and they get these miracles, but I just I can't seem to break through. Well, don't get me wrong, because we've talked about this lately, the Between Two Gardens series and the Battle series, that God doesn't always answer us in the way or the timing that we want him to. So sometimes he is going to answer your prayer. It just hasn't happened yet. But sometimes something really is blocking your prayers. In this case, a curse is on the people of Israel. A curse. Because they aren't paying their tithes. They aren't giving God what is owed to him. Again, God's words, not mine. Owed to him. Obedience to God is actually a double blessing, like we talked about last week. And it's the essence of full heart, great gain. When you're obedient to God, you realize that you already have what you need. And God opens the windows of heaven for you. You get double blessed. He opens the windows of heaven and allows the perfection, the provision, to flow out of the windows and dump onto your lap more then you can handle, it says, more blessing than you can handle from the very windows of heaven. Some of us beg and plead with God. We just can't seem to break through. There's something getting in the way of our prayers. Well, there actually might be. Maybe it's you're not being obedient to tithing yet. There's other reasons in Scripture, just to give you a little bit of background. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands... You, in turn, must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored, for they are co-heirs with you in the divine grace of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If we're cruel to the people we're supposed to be loving the most, it actually hinders our prayers. Isn't that crazy? First Peter 5, 7. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Find yourself getting a little too arrogant, a little too proud. God holds you at arm's length. He resists you. But he gives grace to the humble. Romans 2.8 says, But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. You're selfish. God's going to hold you back. He's not hearing your prayers. Something is hindering your prayers if you're not obedient to the word. And it's not because God is mean and angry and he's wagging his finger at you and he doesn't love you anymore because God's love is unconditional. 
He is always calling you back, but he's calling you back into obedience for your good. Not because he's a mean, angry guy in the sky. His love is unconditional. His blessings are conditional. He wants your obedience because like we talked about two, three weeks ago, God is not an enabler. He's not going to sacrifice your spiritual health to give you physical wealth. He values spiritual health above all of it because that's the person you're going to take into eternity. Remember, we talked about this lately. God's not an enabler. So if he answers your prayers, it's for your spiritual health as well as your physical health. Can we trust him to get to that point is the question. He wants your obedience. It's an indicator of spiritual health. Sometimes something really is blocking our prayers. But are you ready for the good news now? I've laid a lot of bad news on you. Good news number one. Blessings sometimes really do come in disguise. Now, we often think that blessings should come in the form of like sports cars and mansions. Yes, <laughs> that's what a blessing looks like to me, God, just FYI. But God has a very different idea of what blessings look like. And here it's, he's going to guard your crops from insects and disease. You might not even know he's doing it because he's guarding it in ways you can't even understand or fathom. He's watching your back. He's uh, preventing your fridge from breaking down, right? Your appliances in your house, your car, the parts on it. He's guarding your stuff so you can prosper. It, it says he's preventing grapes from falling to the ground before they're ripe. He's guarding even the things that could be wasteful in your life. He's watching you. He's holding you. When you're trusting him, things just seem to work out, right? It's like luck. Uh, well, Christians don't like the word luck, right? We, we don't like saying good luck. We don't like attributing things to luck. It's God's blessing in our life. But this sounds a lot like luck. Just saying. Do you know there's a, which commandment? The honor your father and mother commandment. It's, the word actually says it's the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother and things will go well for you. Sounds like luck to me. I just happen to know the source of luck, right? God just works things out for me. I'm just lucky, I guess, because God's working on my behalf because I'm obedient in tithing. He can bless me in ways I don't even fathom or understand, ways I could not have earned. He works for me. It's amazing. You know, we talked about the Garden of Eden a couple weeks ago in our Between Two Gardens series and how the ground became difficult to work after sin, right? They were put in this beautiful garden. Everything was provided for them. Fruit and vegetables were easy. They were just there. They chose to do it their own way. Got kicked out of that. That was God's plan. They wanted to do their own plan. So God said, go ahead, but the ground's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult to work now. But once again, just like always, God is promising redemption from the curse of disobedience. Just like he always does. No longer has to be difficult. If you just trust me, 
I'm going to guard your crops from insects and disease. I'm going to guard your paycheck from layoffs and whatever. I'm going to guard you. I will hold you. Follow you around and uphold. There's a a scripture that says, I will uphold your words as you walk around. That's what I'm going to do for the obedient, the ones who are trusting me. God wants to bless us. We have to be faithful. We have to be willing to do it his way. Understanding that he actually knows more about our lives. He knows better than we do about who we are and how the world works. He created it after all, right? He wants to open up the windows of heaven for you. He wants to let perfection stream out of those windows onto your lap. That is what he wants for you. But as long as you keep trying to do things your way, he can't do that. Listen, you're going to spend the 10% anyway. People get hung up on that 10%. Right? It's out the door anyway. If God's not watching your crops from insects and disease, there go 10% of the crops at least. Yeah? He's not watching the grapes from falling to the ground. There goes 10% of the grapes anyway or more. It's, It's gone anyway. Why not give it to God? Trust him with watching the stuff. We, we, I realized as I was thinking about this, you know, my husband and I struggled with tithing in the beginning of our marriage. It was spotty at best. We would make financial decisions more out of fear than faith. And I realized that it's, tithing is actually often the last spiritual discipline that people conquer in their walk with God because it's so fear-based. Our finances are our security, It's where we feed our families and clothe ourselves, and it's a a sense of security for us. And when you're choosing to give 10% to God, 10% that you don't actually have, right? This is how we see it. We have 100% of the finances coming in, and to give a tenth of it away, it's just, I can't afford that, right? But the thing is, you would spend it anyway, and it's just fear talking. Conquer that fear. Give it to God in faith. I was sitting at my table, kitchen table one day, paying bills and whatever, and I just, I looked at that 100%, right? Small though it was at the time, and it, I said, God, it feels like if I don't tithe, all I'm really saying to you is I don't trust you. I want to do things my way. I don't trust that you're going to work out the groceries this week and fill my gas tank and whatever it is that I need. I I don't trust you. And I just can't bring myself to say that. I just can't do it. And although it doesn't make financial sense right now, the numbers don't work, I'm choosing to trust you. And I'm going to give this 10%. And I'm going to... Just believe that you're going to work it out for me. And honestly, he has ever since. Tithing in my family has just been non-negotiable for years now. It's just it's not even a thought anymore because we have seen God work it out over and over and over and over. When things don't make sense, the groceries show up. When things don't make sense, somebody gives us a meal. When things don't make sense, somebody buys my kids clothes. It doesn't make any earthly, natural sense, but it works. Because that's how God's ordered the universe to work. He created it. 
But people will sometimes come to me and ask me for prayer about money situations. And it's a little awkward now that I am the pastor. <laughs> but I, my, the first question out of my mouth, I, I always want it to be, are you a tither? I don't mean it in a judgmental way. It just sort of guides how I can pray. Right? Because if you are a tither, this verse applies, and this is now a promise for you. If you're a tither, I can say, God, you promised in Malachi 3.10 that if they brought the whole tithe, they tested you in this, you would prove yourself and open up the windows of heaven for them. So much blessing, they wouldn't even have enough room for it all. So that's what we're claiming. In Jesus' name, boldly and unashamedly, we're coming before your throne. We're asking you for more provision than they could possibly imagine. And if you're not a tither... I'm going to ask for grace, and I'm going to ask for provision, but maybe also a little bit of repentance, <laughs> right? Maybe a little bit of this, let this be a turning point, that they wouldn't constantly find themselves in financial distress, but they would choose to trust God fully and completely. Do you know, though, I looked into tithing over the past year, and found out that tithing isn't one of those things that from the dawn of creation God asked us for. Do you know where the first time in scripture we see tithing? It was after the Israelites spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. 400 years. Generations after generations were slaves and they gave away 100% of the things that they worked for. 100% went to somebody else to feed somebody else's family. They didn't get the profits from any of it. They were slaves. And after they came out of Egypt, God said, you are no longer slaves. You are my people, and my people don't have to give away 100%. They just give me 10. You get 90%. Go prosper with it. Live good, healthy lives. Just give me 10% to show me that you trust me and to remind you that you're not a slave anymore. Do you know, sin will always take 100%. Always. That mm, drinking problem that you're allowing to go on in your life, it will snowball into suddenly all of your money always is being spent on that. Right? The, the affair, the gambling issue, whatever it is, we see this in addiction. It's incredibly common in our culture, right? It takes all the money and more. Suddenly it's everybody else's money around you as well that it's taking, right? Sin snowballs and it takes all of it. God only asks for 10%. When you look at it that way, it's really not that much. It's an investment in your spiritual Health. It's a constant reminder of who is in charge and who is not. I don't want to be in charge of my finances, actually. I would much rather the creator of heaven and earth be in charge of my finances. I would much rather he take care of that because he happens to know a little bit more about the order of the universe than I do. Let him be in charge. He's helped me conquer so much fear. I never expected through tithing. I used to be incredibly fearful, anxious with money. I would want to hold it all so close. My husband is a giver. So 
There was extra anxiety there. He loves giving. He wants to give everything away. And I would just feel this fear about it. But now it's years into tithing. It's not even a thought. Of course, if we give, God's going to give back. Of course he is. He's done it over and over and over. You, you don't usually fail to tithe out of laziness, although that can happen, or even out of out-and-out out rebellion, right? Most of us agree that we should tithe. It doesn't mean that we do, because fear gets a grip on us. But the most empowering thing is to step out in faith and watch God work. He does. Blessings might come in disguise, but they come more abundantly than you could possibly even ask for. He wants to bless you. Is that enough good news, or do you want another one? More good news? Okay. God cares deeply about his house. That's what we, another principle to learn from this. He's calling out the nation of Israel about his temple, his house. And that's good news for you because you happen to be in his house today. Yes, he is here, isn't he? He wants to be here. His, like Jason said earlier, he inhabits the praises of his people. When we can fully trust him and enter into that praise, he is there every time. And people like to complain that all the church wants is money, but what they don't understand is, is the world wants much more from you. You get freedom in this house hope for a good future. Long life and good days are the promises of God. 10% is nothing. We think about it that way. God has always set up his house as a place to find refuge and strength, a place to find freedom and hope and an example to the world to draw them to him. So when we abuse it, the church that is, when, when we take advantage of his kindness, it shows him where our hearts are at. When we come into church saying, it's about me. It's all me, 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 right? We have this value around here, actually. It's not me, church. It's we, church, right? Because we want to come in to this house, this temple, this sanctuary, and offer ourselves to God, not just ask God for more. Offer ourselves to the people, that we can function as one body, all different parts, Corinthians says, but as one body, serving each other and loving God to the best of our ability. And if the church is falling apart, not taken care of for lack of funds, God takes issue with that. We can no longer be the example we were meant to be. We can no longer be the church that serves each other like Jesus meant for us to be when he created it. If God cares deeply about something, we probably should too, right? Tithing, it's one of those pieces of religion, of ritual that we should stick to. Not necessarily for God's sake, but for ours. Constant reminder of who is in charge and who is not. You know there are over 2,000 verses about money and possessions in the Bible? And you could learn a new thing about money every day for five years and not be done from the Bible. If God talks about it a lot, you probably should too. It is so tied to faith and fear. 
If the church talks about money a lot, it's only because we're mirroring the word. It's a, a big problem people have with the church. But it's biblical, deeply biblical. And it's one of the last pieces of spiritual health that people conquer because it's so fear-based. Do you know, I, I have this um, just guiding sort of principle in my own life that I don't, prepare, I don't like to prepare sermons that don't challenge me too. And I tend to learn leaps and bounds more through my sermon prep than just everyday Bible reading because it challenges me and I, I, I dig until it doesn't challenge me anymore. But I, I didn't have to dig very far this week because <laughs> I, although personally we've mastered tithing a long time ago and I've seen the benefits of that, I'm now leading at a whole nother level. And I preached on contentment last week and Tuesday morning... I get the email saying what the, what the offering was for the week. Record low. Just to be real transparent with you, two weeks out of the last month have been record low offerings. And God is teaching me who the source is. Not that I particularly like his methods, because we never really do. He's teaching me who the source for this church is. The staff here and their families, the ministries that we provide and create, the youth that are ministered to, the kids in the back that have amazing experiences with God. God's teaching me he's the source, even of ministry and the provision for it. And to have an eternal perspective, because, you know, we can preach, the church actually has a lot of problems with preaching a prosperity gospel. Have you heard that term? Right? We preach and teach that if you just come to Jesus, everything will be great. And if you just come to Jesus, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? And God wants you to be rich and happy and healthy, and he does want those things. But a balanced prosperity gospel teaches this next part of Malachi too, And it's to have an eternal perspective. Listen to the sixth and final conversation in Malachi between God and the people. Verse 13, you have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil, get rich, and those who dare God to punish them, suffer no harm. Can you hear the bitterness dripping off of that? (laughs) Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We often get this perspective of just the here and now, right? The rich or the the wicked get rich and the good people get nothing, right? How dare you, God? And what's the point of serving God if that's all that happens? God's trying to teach us, though, that life is very short and eternity is very long. (laughs) Who's the person that you're going to take into eternity? And I don't mean other people. I mean, who's this person on the inside, without all the stuff and the clothes and the 
things that go along with life. Who are you? Can, are you someone that God can trust? Someone that God can use? Are you faithful? Are you trusting him now? Those who serve the Lord, who fear him and him alone, those who honor his name the way he asks to be honored, will be God's own special treasure. He will set you aside when handing out punishments. Then we will see the difference between those who are godly and those who are not. We may not feel the honor here and now. This is the balanced prosperity gospel, right? You might not see the benefits of living a godly life here and now, but you will see it someday. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 19, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We're going to see the benefit, the reward, either way. If it's in heaven, great. If it's here, great, right? To live as Christ and to die is gain. We're going to get more on the other side of eternity anyway. Just trust God. God's calling us as a church into a new level of trusting him. Having an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective, an eternal thought process about how we handle our finances. Remember, last week I said this series is about transforming the way that we think. Jenna handed me this verse earlier. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God will take care of this stuff. It's no problem to him. Remember Jesus when he needed money to pay a tax? What did he do? Found it in a fish's mouth of all places. God can provide the money. He has no problem doing that. He wants you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the rest is no problem. The kingdom of God is so often upside down from our way of thinking. Why should money be any different? Why should great gain be any different? Trust God. Be more generous. God will give you more. Serve people more. He will give you more. That's how he's ordered the universe to work. Bring him a good and he will give you more good things. If you already tithe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, this, I conquered this a long time ago. And Jesus, he was once asked exactly how much people should tithe. And he said, that's a just, it's a, it's a non-conversation. Yeah, you should tithe, of course, but also love people. Give generously. Love justice and mercy. Right? Maybe you tithe, but it's more of a going through the motions thing. You need to learn to love the house of God, to serve the house of God better. You want to take a step towards that today. Or maybe you've never thought about finances or tithing as a spiritual discipline in your life. Maybe the subject of money is actually scary. And you're living in from one financial crisis to the next. God's calling you out on the waters. Walk on water a little bit because he's got you. Step out in faith. 
He wants to handle all of those things for you. He just needs you to be willing to do it his way a little bit. And we always say around here that we get to give. We don't have to give. That's the way we want to see it. It is a privilege and an honor that we get to participate in what he is doing. We get to have an amazing church to come into and worship vibrantly, passionately, and selflessly. We're passionate about the house of God because he is passionate about it. We want to see it have more than enough, more than enough food in his temple, he said. And we want to, we're willing to sacrifice to get it there. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. Your worship of him. A person that you're going to take into eternity. So Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us, correct us, and guide us. And even when the word is tough to hear, we thank you for it. Father, I pray that today you would plant seeds in each of our souls, that we would be a church known for our generosity, for our giving, that we want to love the world around us so much that we're willing to sacrifice a little for it. God, I call out the gifts of generosity in this church, the gifts of giving, that we would give well. We would give what needs to be given not what we want to give, but that we would also be cheerful givers, not reluctantly or in response to pressure, but we would give happily, cheerfully, because we love that we have the privilege to do so. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.